1: well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
2: This is HudsonRiverRadio.com. I'm Linda Zimmerman. I'm Michael Wharton. And this is Murder in the Hudson Valley on Radio.com. And good evening, everyone. I am here tonight with Brian Horowitz, and how are you?
3: Hanging in there, Linda. How are you?
2: Oh, hanging by a thread, but that's... Okay. <laughs> that's... <laughs>
3: Do I want to ask, or should I just nod no, with understanding no, no. that?
2: <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, life is usual, yeah. uh, but there's nothing like relaxing and talking about murder, right?
3: That, that When you're on this side of it, agreed.
2: Yes. Oh yeah so um we do have a case tonight not from the hudson valley but if you are interested if you watch csi or you're young and you have any plans of doing something in criminal justice or forensics you're going to love this case um coming up i i had being the science geek i am i I had to do this case but uh before we get to that We do have a cold case tonight. Um, Pretty sad. I I remember when this happened. We're going back to June 4th, 2004. And uh, Bombville, are you familiar with that area just north of Newburgh?
3: No, I'm not.
2: Um, Nice area. Uh, Route 9, a very busy, very, very busy Mm -hmm. road. There was the His and Her Hair Salon. Um, front door is right by the street so anybody going in and out the front door is going to be seen so you'd think well this is probably a pretty safe location well unfortunately um, 31 year old owner uh, Marlboro resident Yvonne Torch opened up the shop at 9 a.m and at 11 a.m a customer came in and found her body on the floor. She had been killed by what they described as blunt force trauma and a penetrating wound to the chest. Now, I assume she was stabbed. Um, I thought it was interesting. Why would they describe it as a penetrating wound to the chest?
3: I, I don't know. I guess it depends on, on what they used, whether yeah. it's a knife or some other... Blunt object, scissors in a hair salon, maybe.
2: Oh, that's very good point. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm so, guessing
3: it was, you know, stab and then pulled back out. So you have the wound without the weapon still. Right.
2: There. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, apparently, the blunt force trauma, she was beaten to the point where the funeral director told the husband, no, you don't want to see her like that. Um, she had two young daughters who were just absolutely devastated Uh, one of them later wrote years later "I, I had a picture perfect life I had everything growing up as a child then all of a sudden that all changed I'm still dealing with it to this day it's still part of me I still think about her every single day And the husband was not a suspect. Um, And the problem is they just really don't have any suspects in this. And again, unless whoever this was, I assume most places have back doors for deliveries. Mm -hmm. Unless someone snuck in and out the back door, someone had to see this person uh, coming and and going. I remember very vividly I was giving a lecture up that way one day and driving by and in front of the uh, salon was this big sign that said, murderer, your time is running out and asking for information and things. I was like, wow. And what I later found out was that Yvonne's father, uh, Lee Slaughter, was posting signs saying you know we're, we're coming after where you your time is up and all of these signs and he 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 was asked about this and he said i hope i pissed somebody off they certainly pissed me off and you know poor father he wants answers as as sure. anyone does yeah sure. um But I still I those signs were there for years, I I believe. Um, So as far, maybe they have some clues. I don't know. The police said they have documented four hundred and thirty nine leads, spoke to hundreds of people, um, examining all sorts of phone records. The FBI was analyzing some DNA evidence. And as far as I know, they have nothing at this point.
3: That's a shame. And a hair salon, if you see somebody walking in and out, that's what you expect. So nothing seems out of the ordinary, even if they use the the front door.
2: That's that's true. Yeah. Um, But someone knows something, obviously, and maybe since 2004, someone got a little drunk and a little slip of the tongue and said something. Um, So if you know anything, please, please contact the police and and let them know. Again, that was June 4th, 2004 in uh, Baumville, New York. Um, And one interesting point. Do you remember the bubblegum killer episode? Yes. Yes. Cosimo de Britzi was was murdered. Mm -hmm. This happened just days after that murder. So they thought there might have been a connection, um, but they haven't been able to find one. So please, again, if you know anything, um, and even if you don't think it's significant, or like Mike always said, you you might say, oh, the, the cops certainly must know this. Well, you don't know. And and all this time, you know, 18 years have passed. There's probably different people there now. Call and, and let them know what you know, because one, one thing might spark this uh, to be solved. So why don't we take our first uh, quick break and come back for the case, which I have entitled Never throw
0: away anything.
1: HudsonRiverRadio.com
0: Gail Newcomb from Paranormally Yours here. Seen any weird-looking creatures lately? I mean, besides your co-workers, family, and friends.
2: The Hudson Valley actually is said to have its own water monster, and even possibly Sasquatch. Or is it something else? Join me, Gail Newcomb, for Paranormally Yours. We'll be exploring the unexplained
0: and the mysterious from all around the Hudson Valley. Join me for Paranormally Yours on HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to Paranormally Yours on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
0: Mercedes Kent here. Did you know you can now subscribe to all of Hudson River Radio's podcasts, including the silver screen? And they're always available right in our Hudson River Radio app. You can hear our podcasts anytime and anywhere. You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your message heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com, and we'll get you started. That's info at HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to The Silver Screen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: HudsonRiverRadio.com.
2: and we are back uh brian are you ready for this
3: i'm ready as always i have my notepad
2: and a pen right here perfect perfect so we are going far from the hudson valley but since we have not only national but international uh, listeners um i i feel emboldened to stray (laughs) from from new york from time to time and i I think when you hear this case, you'll see why I did. We are going to Holt, Michigan. It is June 11th, 1986. It's a nice summer day. And Muriel Kirby uh, has every, every weekday, she has breakfast with her 35 year old divorced daughter, Jeanette. And she went to meet her that day for breakfast. She waited and waited and Jeanette never showed up, which is definitely not like her. Uh, She thought, well, she must be sick. Maybe she overslept, but again, just very uncharacteristic of her. So Muriel calls uh, the place where Jeanette worked. She never showed up. She calls her house. She's not there. She doesn't wait and not there's no let's wait and see. She calls the police immediately. Unfortunately, um, there were severe thunderstorms that night. Um, is there anything worse for evidence collection than heavy downpour And
3: completely washing it away? Yeah. yeah, I would say that's, it makes it difficult, right?
2: Yes, yes. Uh, But this is still a case we, you know, is she still alive and out there somewhere? So obviously, poor Muriel is frantic. You know, my daughter's out in this in this terrible weather somewhere. Well, they knew she loved to walk. And one of her favorite places to go was the Riverbend Natural Area in Ingham County. Uh, It was about 500 acres of uh, pretty densely wooded area with trails for walking and and jogging. So the next day, the police find Jeanette's car in the Riverbend parking lot, and it had been ticketed two days before, so the day before that um, she was supposed to meet her mother for breakfast. It had been ticketed for being left there. So, uh-oh, you know, she's, her car has been there for two days and she's not. They searched the park. But again, you know, unless you have people shoulder to shoulder, it has to be a, a tough it, well, a tough th- thing yeah, to do.
3: 500 acres is difficult. I mean, think about how, how the cases we've had finding a victim in a house yeah. Just in something as small as that, but now you have 500 acres. So, yeah, that's yeah, very exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's right. You know, they're somewhere in the house and you can't find them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, some of her friends joined the search on the second day. And one of her good friends, James Horniak, who had been in Vietnam and had seen a lot. Unfortunately, he said this was something worse than ever he had ever seen. He is searching, and at first he thought, Well, that's strange. There's a mannequin in the woods. Well, it wasn't a mannequin, it was Jeanette's body. It was in a ravine only a half a mile from her car. So she had been that close to getting out of the woods and, and getting in her car and going, you know, getting to safety clear signs of a struggle her uh we all remember well we we older folks remember those cassette players you used to run a lo- around with and you Walk had the man's. headsets yeah. walkmans yes or you know the the pseudo walkmans the if knock- you oh to man cheap. i used
3: to burn through those several a year because <laughs> it was always on
2: <laughs> yes yes well uh she had been running with one, and the heads the broken headset was found n- somewhat near the body but not close to it um this is very weird her clo their pieces of her clothing they hadn't been torn they had been carefully cut which i'll I'll get to um in a little bit. Uh, homicide investigators said she obviously had been attacked on the trail and dragged there were drag marks uh, to this more secluded spot now this is very important her hands were bound behind her back with a plastic strap tie now i used to work in a chemistry lab and we would use those strap ties. We had a special little gun to tighten them
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, for attaching tubing to apparatus. I'm sure if if you're running cables, probably in the studio, do you use uh, yeah, strap you may, ties? Yeah, you see to... that
3: six-foot rack behind me?
2: Oh, okay. <laughs>
3: yeah, there's a couple in there holding everything together. That and duct tape. That's how we operate.
2: <laughs> well these were not i didn't know there was a difference these were not regular consumer strap ties they were police flex cuffs and the difference is in the head of the where you put the little strap and if if you don't know what i'm talking about look look at this up you put the end of the strap through the little head and there's a tab in there that when you pull it tight it clicks Mm -hmm. and that's what it tightens on In consumer ties, it's all plastic. In police flex cuffs, it's a metal tab. Okay, so Mm -hmm. store that. Right,
3: and flex cuffs are obviously for two wrists. It's not like a regular zip tie. That's just one loop. Flex Mm -hmm. cuffs have two loops, one for each arm. So it looks almost like a flattened figure eight. So one for each hand, and you have to to tighten up each wrist.
2: I didn't realize that either. In the
3: movies, it's, you know, hands together and then they bind your hands together. Right. Uh, Flex cuffs are, are, they're shaped more like regular handcuffs. So there's one zip for each, for each hand.
2: This is why it's important to have a cop on this show. (laughs) (laughs) Things I would never know. Um, So they have the, uh, the flex cuff. But again, the rain washed away. There were no footprints, no tire tracks, no fingerprints. Um, but let's get back to those that clothing. Her pants had been carefully cut off in square pieces. They said it had to be very methodical and time-consuming. Her shirt had been cut right up the middle. So... This is a very sick man getting some sort of perverse satisfaction in the slow, methodical way he cut her clothes off. They don't say it, but I assume he did this while she was still alive because I did not see any blood on the shirt. Uh, I saw pictures of the shirt. I also didn't see any stab wounds in the shirt, and she had three stab wounds to the chest. Um, surprisingly, there had not been a sexual assault, which, um, you would assume someone going to this degree was doing this for sexual reasons, but who knows what's in the mind of someone like this? Um, as I had mentioned in the beginning, Jeanette was divorced. So who do you think of first? The The, ex,
3: of course.
2: The ex- Um, He had the best alibi. He was in Florida. He was living in Florida and they confirmed, yes, he was in Florida at the time. Doesn't mean he couldn't have hired someone, but there didn't seem to be any reason uh, to suspect him. Unfortunately, there was no one to suspect. Uh, She had no serious boyfriends. She was not in conflict with anybody, no enemies that they could think of. No witnesses, no knife, all you had was the flex cuffs and the way the clothes were cut up. So what do you think? Cop flex cuff, was this a police officer? They start questioning police, any police who had been on duty in the area. And that that cannot be an easy thing. Cops interviewing other cops,
3: I fortunately knock on wood I haven't been in that situation but yeah that's uh, that's a tough one.
2: Yeah, I mean you obviously have to do your job but mm-hmm. uh, and then you hate to suspect people on your force are are capable of some this was not this was not your typical murder. Right. So, they check with the Flex Cuff company which the headquarters was in Tennessee. And they said, yes, this is the type of flex cuff used by your local police, but it's also used across the country. Mm -hmm. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them across the country. So what do they have to go on? Um, Nothing really at this point. And it doesn't mean that
3: a civilian can't get a hold of a set of flex cuffs. They're not that hard to get a hold of, you know.
2: Right, right. But you know, you had to, you had to, you had to start somewhere. Oh, sure. Start um, with the
3: obvious. Absolutely. Right,
2: right. So unfortunately, the case goes cold. A year passes. Two, four years pass, and you know this just it just had. I I've seen the mother being interviewed, and it was just hell, and particularly for the father because Jeanette was daddy's girl you know the apple of his eye and he just what what these families want they just want justice you know they all say it's not going to give us closure but don't let the man who did this be out there free and you know you you can certainly understand so fortunately four years later 200 miles away a woman reports that a pickup truck that had uh, a light bar, police lights on the on the roof that's that's pretty unusual distinctive right? yeah yes, very distinctive uh turns on his lights all she she's driving on a somewhat deserted road sees what to her are cop lights flashing so she pulls over and this very tall man in a police hat walks up to the car. Now he's wearing a police hat but no uniform. It's regular clothes. Um, red flag.
3: Could be. I mean, it could be uh, legit. It could not be. You know, is
2: there any reason a cop would be in regular clothes and his police hat?
3: It, I mean, I, I could make up scenarios of depending on what detail they're on, if they're on a plain clothes detail, but they're doing a traffic stop for some reason Okay. as, as some kind of identification. I will say as a side note, if you're uncomfortable, you can keep your windows up and you can make a phone call and ask for a uniformed police officer to come on a traffic Mm. stop. If you have somebody. Well, in
2: 86, though, what do you do?
3: Obviously, before cell phones and all that. Right. Or if you had a cell phone, it was eight dollars a minute to call. So you probably didn't <laughs> right. want to do that.
2: <laughs> right. But just, well, just a
3: sidebar. You can always call and ask for a uniformed police officer. If you're not okay. sure keep the windows up as long as you don't take off and, and right. drive away and you know,
2: right. If you're at all suspicious, well sure. between the pickup truck with the police lights and the man in a hat, but regular clothes, mm-hmm. she's a little suspicious, but she gets out of the car and he orders her into his truck And she's like, no, this is wrong. She starts fighting him. He pulls a nine millimeter pistol, fires it in the air next to her. Basically as a warning, you get in my truck or, you know, you're next. Fortunately for her, at this point, another car is approaching and the man took off. He just panicked, um, jumps in his pickup truck and takes off. So. Back 200 miles away in, in Ingham County, um, red flags go up because they hear about a man impersonating a cop trying to abduct a woman. Now they don't know that the person who attacked Jeanette was impersonating a cop, but he did have, you know, the flex, the police flex mm-hmm. cup. It's something. It's something. So. Word spreads that they are on the lookout for a pickup truck with one of these light bars. Is it legal to put police lights on a regular car?
3: Different states have different colors and oh, different colors okay. have different meanings in different states. For example, here in New York, a blue light is a volunteer firefighter. A green light's a volunteer EMS. Um, okay. There are regulations. It's not supposed to be a full light bar across the top supposed okay. to be one single light that's the kind of thing that they're volunteers so you let it slide
2: kind of thing okay right um, but right.
3: blue in other states is for law enforcement so i don't know what michigan has off the top oh, of my head so, okay okay again like flex cuffs you can buy a light bar Nothing right. stopping you from doing it right so
2: well Again, as we said, this is a pretty unique setup. Not a lot of pickup trucks with light bars. Uh, So they spread the word. And fortunately, a gas station attendant said, Hey, I saw that pickup truck. He was here. He bought gas. And guess what he paid with? Credit card. Yes. All right. So I made a list here. If you are about to commit a major crime, and you use a credit card to buy gas on your very unique vehicle, you either one have stolen the credit card and you're not using your real name two, you intend to kill the victim so they can never identify your unique vehicle or three, you're just plain stupid.
3: Or four, you don't think you're going to get caught
2: i guess number four three, but three
3: the, a of, <laughs>
2: yes of the three i've listed mm-hmm. would you like to take a stab so to speak at which it was unfortunately
3: I'm, I'm guessing he was planning on killing his victim
2: yes he was um but since that didn't work out he turned out to be just plain stupid, stupid. Mm-hmm. yes so it was a trick question it was actually two and three um, so who signed his name on that credit card receipt was David Dreheim, who was six foot six. I think that qualifies as a tall person, Agreed. As, as the woman had described. He was 33, absolutely no criminal record. He was a volunteer fireman who had actually apparently saved lives, been heroic. He was a Marine. And he worked at a wastewater treatment plant. He did not live in that area. He was visiting his parents on vacation at their house. Where did he live, you ask? Are you asking me that? I am asking
3: that. Where did he live?
2: <laughs> he lived in Holt, Michigan. Does that ring a bell?
3: That does ring a bell.
2: Yes. That is where Jeanette lived. Mm-hmm. So... Plot is thickening. Police are are hoping this is the man. They do find his truck, of course, and inside is a knife and flex flex cuffs. However, it is not the murder weapon, and they are a different type of flex cuffs. Ah, Very, very disappointing. But they come to find out in short order um, that not only had he attempted the kidnapping of that woman, but they also find out that uh, a woman, had a waitress, had broken down with a flat tire and Dreheim stopped to help her. Oh, I'll help you. And what he actually did was repeatedly raped her. Um, just her, you know, when a man has a flat tire... It's a, it's a real pain. Uh, it's an annoyance that you have to stop and, and, you know, change it. When a woman, unfortunately, has a flat tire, she becomes prey for people like this. It's, um, it's pretty scary. So uh, he is brought to trial on the uh, attempted kidnapping and the rape. He is found guilty on uh, attempted kidnapping and two counts of first degree criminal sexual conduct with a weapon um i assume that's rape with a weapon i don't know
3: we're we're out of state so i don't know the particulars yeah, uh, again every state is just a little bit different yeah but
2: yeah it's pretty descriptive
3: of what the yes. crime is
2: and he is given 40 to 80 years in prison so that's good news because he's an obvious predator you've gotten him off the street but there's no connection to Jeanette and he denies ever knowing about her anything so is anyone ever going to be brought to justice for Jeanette's murder well you'll have to come back after the break and find out
1: HudsonRiverRadio.com your dad likes us I'm Michael Warden. Join Linda Zimmerman and me for Murder in the Hudson Valley. We'll look into notorious homicide cases from around the region and follow the case from the moment the crime scene is discovered up to the final verdict. We'll discuss the suspects, evidence, forensic techniques, and legal battles used to identify and convict the guilty. Murder in the Hudson Valley, only on HudsonRiverRadio.com.
0: Subscribe to Murder in the Hudson Valley on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, this is Allison Turkin. Did you know you can now subscribe to all of our Hudson River Radio podcasts, including Getting Dirty? You can also sponsor one of our shows to get your message heard locally and around the world. Just shoot an email to info at HudsonRiverRadio.com and we'll get you started. That's info at HudsonRiverRadio.com. Subscribe to Getting Dirty on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com.
3: And welcome back to Murder in the Hudson Valley. So we are about to find out what happens to our suspect, David. I'm going to guess he had ties to Jeanette that we just haven't heard yet. So we know that he was a volunteer firefighter, and that may very well explain why he had lights on his pickup truck. I'm, I'm assuming in Michigan, like many other states, that volunteer firefighters are permitted to have some kind of warning lights on their vehicles. So that may explain that.
2: Yeah, that's great. I did. not I did not even think of that. Um, so, yeah, he may have had legit lights, but using them to pretend to be a, a cop. Mm-hmm. So unfortunately, we go to 1998, 12 years after Jeanette's murder. Uh, Muriel can't take it anymore. She writes to the new Michigan Attorney General, who happened to be at the time Jennifer Granholm. Um, I don't know if that name rings a bell, but she became the governor and she is currently now the Secretary of Energy. So obviously someone who gets things done or at least has political strong political ties, mm-hmm. but she... Assigned two detectives to review the whole case. You know, take it out, go from square one. Um, unfortunately, in 1999, uh, Jeanette's father passed away without having any resolution, which which is sad. But these two detectives, you know, fresh eyes on the case, they realized that at the time, no one ever interviewed Dreheims best friend and roommate who was a man by the name of mark Greco. i mean you would think that would be standard talk to the people closest to him mm-hmm. and um grico says they had both worked as security guards in the early 80s and that grico used to buy cars and fix them up and he had Greco had bought a used police car and while fixing it up, in the trunk he found a bag of flex cuffs. Okay, the okay. cops had for- had neglected.
3: This is why you empty a vehicle before you sell it.
2: Yes. Well, apparently these were like wedged, and they may not even. They probably didn't even know they were there. They were wow. like wedged in the roof of the trunk for some reason. Hmm. Well, he keeps one, and. Who do you think he gives the rest of the bag to? I'm
3: going to guess David had them.
2: Yes. Yes, David had them. Well, you still can't say they're the same ones. Or can you? Now, this, this just blows me away from here on out and makes me want to be a forensic investigator. Um, Grico said he had kept that one flex cuff in the brim of his security hat. So in case he needed it, he had it in his hat. Apparently, that was common practice. I don't know if police do that today. No. <laughs> okay. I, I have well, never heard of that. No. Okay. Well, as a security guard, that's that's what they did. Apparently, back in the 80s, it was a common practice to keep one in the brim of your security guard hat. Um, so police, you know, cross their fingers and say... Is there any chance 15 years later, you still have that hat? He says, you know, I'm a pack rat. I probably do. So he, he has tons of boxes, tons of stuff. He's going through them. Wouldn't you know, there's his old security guard hat. And the flex cuff is still under the brim. Now you have something to compare it to. The murder cuff that was found on Jeanette with the cuff that Grico had cuffs that he gave to uh, to Drayheim. Mm-hmm. So y- you have to try to see if you can match it anyway. The police go down to Mexico, Monterey, Mexico, where these flex cuffs were still being made. Can you compare the plastic? They said, well, no, because the composition's all the same. Every batch, they prepare the same exact composition. However, remember that little tiny stainless steel tab that, that differentiates? Right, the,
3: yeah, the long okay. enforcement cuffs, Yep. Yeah.
2: They said those are cut, and every piece of cut metal has tool marks that a carbide saw would cut these pieces of stainless steel into these little these little tiny rectangles and the saw would leave striations and grooves kind of like uh, ballistics Mm -hmm. on a fired uh, fired uh, bullet and so this is where lieutenant scott marrier comes in he was a firearms and tool mark examiner and he knew that any cutting surface gets worn so the tool marks will change the the tool marks that you use with a saw today six months from now will probably be different so if those striations on the ends of those tabs are even similar you might have a case here so he uses a soldering iron to heat up the the plastic to remove the metal tabs he puts them on a comparison microscope have you ever seen those side No but, has... no,
3: but I get it I can Im- yeah, imagine Yeah so
2: right you took you take two pieces of whatever it is you're examining you know you look through the microscope and you see the two separate images and you can bring them together mm-hmm. to see if there is a similarity well the the groove lines match up exactly it it was so close that they, he said those two tabs could have been cut consecutively and they were manufactured back in 1979 and were almost definitely from the same package now you have something you have the flex cuff the same flex cuff that Greco had found in the police car given to Draheim, one of which was used in the murder. Pretty compelling, I mm-hmm. would think. Mm-hmm. So 16 years after the murder, June 12, 2002, uh, Draheim goes on trial for, for Jeanette's murder. And the prosecution case is that uh, he left work at that, that uh, treatment plant about 4.30 p.m., went to Riverbend Park, which was only a mile away from where he worked, saw Jeanette alone, walking, jogging, whatever, um, and attacked her, dragged her into the woods and, you know, murdered her. Two really good prosecution witnesses, because it's a good story, but still, well, there were other flex ties, I'm sure the defense attorney, you know, um, could have said one female witness testified that at one point Dreheim had flex cuffed her okay so we know this is something he does and the kicker was his own wife who said that david always jogged with a bag of flex cuffs comments
3: why would you do that
2: Exactly. Why would any sane individual go jogging, carrying flex cuffs, unless you are a predator, always on the lookout for prey? Yeah, that is, that's a little off. Uh, Very. 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 So who who knows the the one woman he had raped, it took a while for her to come forward because he had threatened to kill her if she did. Mm -hmm. So who knows how many other women out there he victimized and were just too terrified, you know, to to say anything. Mm -hmm. But what gets me now, this was a huge case back in Holt, Michigan. Why didn't his wife or Greco say anything at the time of the murder? You know,
3: I don't know if they're in denial or if they really had a good suspicion and they were afraid themselves, possibly.
2: I don't know, but that just does not sit well with me because you could not not hear about this case. Right. Well, anyway, the jury finds him guilty of second degree murder and sentences him to 60 to 90 years on top of the 40 he was already serving so of course to this day he is still proclaiming his evidence his innocence if you have the stomach you can look it up he has a website i i didn't even want to mention on the air all the all the all the witnesses were lying the cops were against him exculpatory evidence was obviously withheld you know all down the line. Um, he is currently in the Saginaw Correctional Facility at level two security, which I didn't know what that means, but apparently that's for people who are on good behavior. And I hope you haven't eaten dinner yet because um, he's, he's very lonely. And on a pen pal site where he's looking for women to correspond with him, he describes himself as a 295-pound bodybuilder who is sensitive to other people's feelings and has true family values. Comments?
3: I'm going to guess you're not going to write to him.
2: Oh, if I wrote, it would not be sensitive no, to family values. No, I would not values. think so, no. Um, oh, my God. Um, Yes, sensitive to other people's values. Fortunately, he is not eligible for parole until the year 2050, when he will be 93 years old. So um, hopefully he will be leaving prison uh, feet first in a box. Agreed. Um, One other footnote, uh, Muriel, the mother Um, Because of this, she started a local chapter, I did not know this existed, the National Organization of Parents of Murdered Children, which is pomc.org. If you're interested, they raise money, they have emotional support and education programs. And she passed away in 2006, but at least lived to see Draheim brought to justice. You had an answer
3: at least, right? Yeah. the case to the end. Well. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean your heart goes and out to the parents. It's uh,
2: it, yeah. how do you wrap your
3: head around that?
2: No. And and I've, you know, over the course of doing this show, I've spoken to parents of murder victims, and you you don't even know what to say. It's it's so horrible. And and some of them fall apart and some of them have the courage to be advocates, um, you know, for others. And and one last note. Um, the we were talking about this on a, a last show or two about the murder rate. The national murder rate has gone up 30 percent, which is the most in the last 100 years. So um, this this organization is hoping to educate and promote, you know, uh, you know, be advocates and hope once and for all that uh, there will be no murders. But uh, we are going in the opposite direction really fast, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So anyone who wants to be his his pen pal. That's on your conscience. Yeah, don't um, don't
3: don't tell Linda. <laughs> she'll get, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she'll be really mad at you. So don't do that.
2: I will make sure you are blocked from our podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, such a sad random thing, just a, a sweet, nice woman goes out to get a little exercise out, you know, on a beautiful summer day, and this crazy predator just snuffs her life out mm-hmm. um and you know again was that his first rodeo who else had he done this yeah, to? yeah
3: probably not
2: probably Some not the i unsolved mean unsolved
3: cases out there are probably tied to him i would imagine
2: yeah yeah i mean do you suddenly develop this thing of cutting somebody's clothes off in neat little squares um very bizarre was there so, any further
3: explanation on that because that is unique that's strange n-
2: no, not that, not that I saw. And I am not going to write to him and ask him um, because he still denies it all. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's the victim here in, in his mind. Of course. Totally innocent. So before I blow a gasket, I think um, we should sign off from this yep. episode. And one thing we,
3: we forget to do in pretty much every episode is to remind <laughs> everybody that you have a number of books if you're into this kind of topic Yes. Amongst other topics. <laughs> Amongst so,
2: other topics. Yes. But um, Hudson. Va- Thank you. Hudson Valley Homicide. Um, if you want to read some of our the best cases in in great detail. And how many podcasts do we have now that you can. Oh, binge Oh, I have on? no
3: idea. I would have to go back.
2: Dozens and dozens. Oh, more, and dozens. yeah.
3: Easily. Usually. Yes.
2: Yeah. So there's a lot for if you enjoy the show, uh, please share it, spread the word and binge to your heart can, heart's content. Yep.
3: And you also have, well, I first met you over a, a Rockland County history book that you wrote. Yes. So, and, yeah. And, I
2: have a couple Rockland County history yep, books. So. That's how I first
3: met you. And then you got roped into uh, coming on board here.
2: <laughs> and yes. You are neck I deep remem- in the quicksand. <laughs> I remember that day because mm-hmm. I said in the studio, I said, you know, maybe I could do a murder show as like an episode, right, like sing- one. Yep. One. I'll do one episode to talk about murder and Mm -hmm. uh, how many years and episodes later you. (laughs) In all
3: fairness, I gave you I gave you warning. Right. I said, once you step in, (laughs) you can't escape.
2: So. I, I I was I was flex cuffed into it yeah, <laughs> with a little metal tab. With <laughs> a metal tab, exactly. So thank you, everyone, from for joining us, and uh, tune in next time if you are not a victim of murder in the Hudson Valley. This is HudsonRiverRadio.com.